We are talking about the theme of Christmas chaos here. But before we go any further, does anyone have that radio? Do you see it? Okay, uh, if, if we can bring the radio, we're going to do something special here. If you bring the radio up to me, I know this is a bit odd. Usually when it buzzes, we get pizza. That's a joke. This is the radio to our friendly neighborhood uh, hero, our manager. So we have something special for him this morning. Nicola Alicut. Nicola Alicut. Alicut. Vous pouvez venir ici dans la salle 10, s'il vous plaît? Okay, merci. He says it won't be long. How's my French? It's pretty good. It's not bad, right? Okay. Uh, so while, uh, while he's coming, I'll talk about this theme. You know, when we look at the Christmas story um, in the pages of the Gospels, all right, and uh, I'll test your knowledge on this, where do you find the Christmas story in the Bible's New Testament? It's only two books. You'll, you have four choices, only two books. Which two books? Luke and Matthew. Okay, good, good. So let's zero in here. You're Matthew and Luke. Which chapters? There's two, there's two chapters in each book that you, that you read for the Christmas story. Which two? One and two. <laughs> it's real easy. One and two in Matthew and one and two in Luke. And that's it. That's pretty well your story of Jesus' birth. Yes, there are allusions to it by other uh, writers and so on, but if you want to know the story of how Jesus was born, those are the chapters that you need to read. Matthew 1 and 2, Luke 1 and 2. Now, when you read those chapters, you are going to ask yourself a lot of questions because if you think about what you're reading, and I would encourage you to read those chapters and put them together because it's two different accounts, two different angles of the story of the birth of Jesus. And I would encourage you to try and harmonize those accounts, all right? If you like to read, there is a terrific book that does this very well. It's probably out of print now. It's called The Life of Christ in Stereo. The Life of Christ in Stereo. Not in HDMI, in stereo, okay? Oh, I'm going to put you on pause now. And Nicola, if you could come up to this stage, we just want to give you something. Yeah, you just come up so the people on the screen can see you. We just want to give you this and say Merry Christmas. Thank you very much. And thank you for your outstanding work with us this year. It's been... Uh... <laughs> I don't know really, the camera. <laughs> Six years he's been here, okay. And Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and Happy New Year. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you, Nicola. Yeah, I just need to, we need to bless our manager because this man works very hard on our behalf and uh, has often picked up the broom and uh, helped clean when the contracted cleaners kind of failed us. So thank you so much for doing that. And uh, some of what you gave, you gave to bless him. So Christmas chaos, when you read the story and you harmonize it, again, the book is The Life of Christ in Stereo uh, by a guy who uh, he put the four gospels together in sequence. And he did that in a hospital room. He had nothing else to do. And it totally transformed his life. It's an outstanding old book, probably out of print. But when you read the story and you actually think of it as a real story, that Jesus really was born and he really, it really happened, and you really start to think about what it was, it's actually quite a chaotic story. There's all kinds of problems in people's lives. Uh, it's, it's chaotic. It's a, it's a mess. There's danger in it, there's evil in it, there's suffering in it, um, there's inconvenience in it, there's disruption in it. It's, it's all over the place. And so I would encourage you, if you learn anything from, uh, from Christmas 2022, you are not dealing with a fairy tale or a myth when you talk about the birth of Jesus. You've got to sometimes get out of the the way we mythologize this story in the culture 
we, we have to get out of that and take those kind of rose-colored glasses that we have about Christmas off and look at it for the raw story of how God came into the world because it's quite raw just like our world is today and just like many of our lives are today. Last week we talked about peace and how you can have peace even in chaos and in moments of chaos and how even the people who experienced this back in the first century, how there was peace there even in their situation. Remember, we closed, Pastor Don did a great job with that old high priestly blessing from Numbers chapter six, the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Uh, that happens to be, by the way, the oldest piece of the, of the Old Testament that we have found in the rocks. There's actually a little silver amulet that has that high priestly prayer on it. It's like, 2,000 plus years old, the oldest piece of the Old Testament that we actually have. But I want to play with you a little bit on this because I think that most people, when they think about the birth of Jesus, it's very much a, 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 in a, almost a mythological sense, all right? Let me, let me show you how, and I'll, I'll put these slides on the screen. This is, a, this is a, a great old Christmas carol very, very famous, all right? Uh, it's called Silent Night. But I want you to think about the Christmas story uh, when we look at a hymn like this or a Christmas carol like this, Silent Night, okay? So, Silent Night, Holy Night. Why, was it, why would it have been the silent? Folks, you've got people going all over the place, traveling all over the place in response to this Roman census that was declared. And Roman censuses were not uncommon, but they were a big disruption for the people's lives. You have Israel under the domination of Rome, and they love to count things. And so when you had these censuses, these people had to migrate and travel to their hometowns. They didn't have the internet. It wasn't on their tax form. They had to move and be obedient to the wishes of the government. Big disruption. You've got these people converging into Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a nothing of a town. It's a tiny little village hamlet of a town in that day. Some people say, uh, you know, 20 families, some people say a little bit more. It, it is, you don't even see this town on a map in terms of its size, relatively speaking. This is not the city of Jerusalem. This is Bethlehem. These people are jammed into this city. You've got extended relatives going there in, in obedience to this, to this uh, uh, census that's been declared. And Mary and Joseph have to go over there because this is where Joseph is from. It's not silent in there. There's noise all over the place. And when they get to the house, they're, they're, there's, we're told there's no room in the inn, right? And uh, this is, a, again, we sometimes think of maybe there's a Motel 6 in the area. You know, maybe there's a Marriott or a Hilton. Folks, that's not what it's talking about. Most likely the inn there is referring to, it's a word that also means an upper room. In fact, Luke uses this term for the upper room in the book of Acts. It's used several times. Some people say that the houses back then, we're not sure if they were like that in Bethlehem, but maybe they were. They had two floors on them. And upstairs, you had the upper room or the inn, as we translated. And downstairs, you had a spot where they'd bring the animals in at night uh, to keep them from being stolen, at least the ones that could be brought inside, and that's where you put the animals in like a pen, and then the people would sleep upstairs. Well, it would stand to reason, here's Joseph, he's coming with his wife, who is, is you know, about to give birth. Maybe they have room for Joseph, but there's other people in his family, they've crammed in there, they're up in the inn, or the upper room, or uh, whatever term you want to use, and so what do they do? They say, well, you're going to stay downstairs. Most likely, this is where Jesus was born. Some people say it may have even been in a cave just outside of Bethlehem. There's some evidence of this. But in any case, this is um, uh, not a silent night. It's a busy night. It's, is it a holy night? Well, I suppose. I mean, if the Holy One, the Son of God, is being born, you could say it's a holy night. But 
There's nothing holy about the night particularly. I mean, there's nothing in the Jewish calendar happening at the time. It's a kind of a regular night, an irregular person coming into the world, but a regular, all is calm, all is bright. It's not calm, it's chaos. And here's this young woman who's, who's pregnant out of wedlock, technically. She's not consummated her marriage with Joseph yet. She's gonna give birth. It's not calm, it's, it's quite a chaotic night. Round yon virgin mother and child, well I suppose you could say that, yes, holy infant so tender and mild. I mean, when Jesus is born, he's a baby, yes? Do, do, what do babies do when they're born? They cry. What happens when they don't cry? It's trouble. Do you think Jesus cried? I think he probably cried just like a normal, healthy baby would do. Is he tender? Well, I suppose little babies are tender. Is he mild? Maybe not so. Maybe he's crying his, his eyes out, you know. Sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace. Well, he's probably not sleeping. Why? Because when he's born, what do they do with him? They wrap him in, as Luke says, swaddling clothes. Nice old translation. And what do they, where do they put him? In a manger. You know what a manger is? It's, a, it's an, a feeding trough for animals. Animals eat out of a manger. It's not comfortable. It doesn't have a mattress. So when they put Jesus in that manger, he's, he's probably not sleeping. He's probably fidgeting. He's probably crying. He's probably saying, I don't like this manger. You, you know, th so this, this hymn, it, it kind of adds this sort of mythological feel to it. Shepherds quake at the sight. Well, that's true. We see that the shepherds were terrified when this whole company of angels appears before them. Glory stream from heaven afar. Heavenly hosts sing hallelujah. No, it doesn't say that they sang. It says that they said glory to God in the highest. They didn't sing it. This says they sang it, but they didn't sing it. Christ our Savior is born. Yes, that's true. But you see what happens is we start to mythologize this, and this is the typical picture that people have of this beautiful Christmas night. You know, you got the star above there, and you got Mary, and she looks as calm as can be, and Joseph, and they're just looking at Jesus, and Jesus just looks so like, man, he's the perfect little baby with the light shining down, and you got the three wise men over there. There's some little kid there. I don't know who he is. And you've got some animals there. And you just say, it's just so beautiful. I mean, it's, look at the color and it's magnificent, beautiful. Folks, this is not the Bible. This is a picture that we've put together of pieces and parts of the Bible. It's beautiful. It's pristine. It's elegant. But folks, Christmas was chaos. There was, a, there was all kinds of problems at, at the first Christmas. The picture looked a little more like this. I'll take some artistic liberties, okay? It looked a little bit more like that. If you're looking at Luke chapter 2 and verse 7, because Luke says it this way, uh, in, in, again, chapter 2 and verse 7, um, so while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger. Okay, we got a nice-looking manger there, but okay, we'll, we'll, give, it, we'll give it the manger. We'll, we'll, we'll check that box. Placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So does it say there that there's any wise men there? No. Does it say that there's any animals there? No. Does it say there's a little kid running around there? No. All it says is you've got Mary and Joseph, and they put the baby in this manger. Maybe they're down in the first floor. Maybe they're in a cave. You're going to have a bunch of shepherds who are going to come that night, and they're going to go and see this thing because this angelic uh, um, large company of angels appears to them and then a, a, a specific angel tells them about it, tells them where to go. So they go there and they see. So we could put some shepherds in there. But the wise men three, folks, they're not even there that night. And I know that sounds really bizarre to you. You're saying, excuse me, I've never heard that before. Read the Gospels closely, Matthew 1 and 2, Luke 1 and 2. The wise men don't show up until up to 
two years after Jesus was born. They're going to show up, and this is how Matthew draws the picture, more artistic liberty. So I'll put three wise men there, but the Bible doesn't say that there were three. And I'll put Jesus there and draw a little circle around him, but he's about two years old at the time. Because Matthew chapter 2 and verse 11 says it like this. When they saw the star, says the wise men, they were overjoyed. And they had followed this star because they saw it. Then they end up in front of Herod the Great and say, where is he that is born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now the east, these wise men or magi, these, are, these guys are from far, far, far away, probably like the area of Babylon. It's hundreds of miles away. They journey over to Jerusalem because they see something in the sky. And they, for some reason, it could be an obscure reference to things in the Old Testament that suggest, just suggest that when the Messiah comes, there'll be some kind of star. We see this in the book of Numbers, but it's very vague. It could be that. We don't know. But they see something in the sky. It's very significant to them. It's of cataclysmic importance to them. So they're going to make this journey. We do not know how many they were. Tradition puts them at three, but there could have been a caravan of them. Typically, these folks traveled in a large caravan. It might not have been three at all. And they go to Herod, and they say, where is this king? Now, Herod, if you know him uh, just from the Gospels, he is a paranoid and violent and... Um, he will stop at nothing to keep his rulership. We know from the history books that this man had several members of his immediate family executed out of paranoia, including his own wife. Uh, he, he was a, a, a strong leader, but a very paranoid ruler who often resorted to violence and so on to keep his power. He's a client king for Rome, uh, but he is a, he's a nasty leader in terms of his actions. And so this behavior that we see later from Herod trying to execute babies is entirely in keeping with his character, what we know from the history books. So anyway, we, we see that um, these wise men tell Herod about this, and Herod gets very upset, and he, he feels threatened. He wants to know who is this person, where is this, this supposed king born, and they say, well, he's born in Bethlehem. That's what your Bible says. So these wise men seem to know the scripture even better than Herod the Great does. So they, he says, okay, you go and you find the king of the Jews and you come back to me so that I, may, I too may worship him. They never return back to him because they're warned about him. But they travel following this star and then they finally end up at a house. Joseph is nowhere on the scene here when they saw the star, they were overjoyed, verse 10, and on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and bowed down and worshiped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with the famous gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then they're warned in a dream, probably they stayed the night in Mary's house, warned in a dream not to go back to Herod the Great, and they returned to their country by another route. Joseph is not on the scene. This is a child now. This is not an infant. The star has moved over to the house where they are. You say, I've never thought of the Christmas story that way. That's the way that it's presented in the Gospels. And when you read it in a harmony, you're going to see that. And the point of all this is not just trivia. It's that the birth of Jesus, this is in a context of brokenness. This is in a context of uh, disruption, discomfort, and even evil. Folks, when you are a king and you are willing to execute infants... I mean, in a, in a, it doesn't matter how many, but in a town that size, you are wiping out a generation out of paranoia, hunting for an infant. Folks, you have a couple 
where she is awkwardly pregnant. Um, Joseph wants to divorce her. They have a legal contract for their marriage, but they have not come together. They haven't had a wedding ceremony. They've not consummated their marriage, and she's pregnant. So he's like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and save her public disgrace, and I'm going to divorce her quietly. Disruption. You have brokenness and suffering there before Jesus is even born. You have Elizabeth, who's Mary's cousin, who can't have a baby, and she's, she's barren even as a senior woman. This would have been suffering. This would have been disgrace. You have all of these problems, and to say nothing of the theological problems presented here. Folks, you have Matthew, who is a Jew, trying to persuade Jews that Jesus is the Son of God, born of a virgin, a virgin conception. Folks, this would have been looked at sideways by Jewish people. It's still looked at sideways by Jewish people today because the paganism of their world, the Greco-Roman uh, system, had all kinds of virgin births and sons of God. The emperor was called the son of God. They had all of this. So Matthew, a Jew, is going to try, let's say he's concocting a story, he's going to make up a story about the Son of God coming, uh, virginally conceived. They would have looked at this and said, this sounds like the pagan thing that we, that we live around in the Roman system and the Greeks and all of that. Folks, it's awkward. It's awkward theologically. It's awkward historically. It's got all kinds of problems just like today, just like today. We live in a world of brokenness. We live in a world of suffering. We live in a world where we see evil, disruption, discomfort, all of these things. This is the world that Jesus was born in, not that dissimilar to today. So what of joy in this whole thing? Uh, and I want to, to explore that theme for a few minutes with you. You know, joy is present in a few places. It threads its way through this story. Typically, in the days leading to Christmas, we call this Advent. Sometimes it means coming of or the presence of. We say this is the Advent season. We recognize the coming of Jesus and so on. And typically, the themes are love, joy, peace, and hope. Because we see these things in the Christmas story, even though we see all this mess around. So when we talk about joy, you see it thread its way in a few places, uh, starting over in Luke's gospel before Jesus is even born. You've got to read the story of the birth of his cousin or somewhat distant relative whose name was, wow, John, yeah, John the Baptist distant relation, but for sure these two are related. And by the way, uh, I will use this as a plug. Uh, you should watch a season three of the streaming series, The Chosen, has started. And the first episode was last week, and the, the next one is out tonight, I think, or today. Fantastic presentation of the real Jesus, I think. Very, very well done, and I've plugged this series before. But anyway, when you have the birth and the, the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist, you start to see this theme of joy. It, it goes in and out of the narrative. It goes by so quickly, but very important to catch. So Luke chapter 1 and verse 14, we have Elizabeth and we have her husband whose name is, starts with a Z or Z. Zechariah, good, yeah, there's so many of those Zechariahs in the Bible, but this is a Zechariah who's going to be the father of John the Baptist. This is his senior couple. He is a priest. They have no children. She is barren. This would have been a disgraceful thing, but he is a priest, and he goes into the temple uh, into a specific ceremony where he gets to burn incense. This would happen w maybe once in your life if you were a priest, you got selected to actually burn the incense. And so he takes his shot and he goes in and he burns his incense and he's probably uh, 
uh, uh, praying. There's people outside waiting. He, he, according to the custom, we're told in Luke chapter 1, verse 8, he goes in there. Uh, verse 10, uh, the people are outside. And then verse 11, there's an angel who appears to him and tells him that he's going to have a son, him and his wife. That angel has a very uh, important name. Do you know the name? It's Gabriel, yeah. And Gabriel would do the same thing to Mary. Gabriel is significant because he's back in the book of Daniel. And Gabriel uh, actually has a lot to do with the time of the coming of the Messiah. If you read Daniel chapter 9, he is interacting with the prophet Daniel there, and he even gives a major timeline uh, of the, the time of the coming of the Messiah. Quite interesting that it's him who then comes and appears to uh, Elizabeth and, uh, and, uh, and Mary. It's very interesting. Anyway, you see this an an announcement that you're going to have a child, even though you're senior, even though your wife is barren. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. He's probably in that temple praying while he's burning the incense. Who knows what he's praying for? Maybe he's praying for a miracle that his wife would conceive. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Verse 14, he will be a joy. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. And the angel goes on to describe what he will be like and how he's going to prepare the way for the Lord. Joy. You watch this in, into the, the there's a, um, a meeting between Mary and Elizabeth. So Elizabeth uh, conceives and uh, there's, there, she's stunned by this, but she ends up conceiving. And then there, you see there, there's this meeting that happens between the two of them. Mary gets told that she's going to, to become pregnant as well. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And so the Holy One will, to be born will be called the Son of God. Verse 36 of Luke 1, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. So she's ending her second trimester with John the Baptist in her womb, for no word of God will ever fail. So Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled to me. The angel leaves. And then Mary says, well, I've got to check this out. I mean, we are related, so I want to see, you know, what's going on. And she comes into Zechariah's home and greets Elizabeth. Remember, Elizabeth has got John the Baptist in her womb in the sixth month. She's ending her second trimester of pregnancy. Moms, you'll know where I'm going with this. When Elizabeth hears Mary's greeting, the baby in her womb, John the Baptist, leaps, we're told, leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she says in a loud voice, folks, this is a stunning statement. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is a child you will bear. She's, she's pregnant now with Jesus, first trimester, but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Excuse me? How does she know who's inside of Mary's womb? How does she identify the baby in Mary's womb as her Lord? He's in the first trimester. And she's saying, basically, the mother of the God that I serve is in the room with me here. And she is carrying God in the flesh. This is, no wonder it says she was filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, the insight and the understanding. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Verse 44, here's this joy thing. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb, that's John the Baptist, he's, again, this is the second trimester. He's not born yet. 
the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Folks, this is the baby. Both babies are not born. And yet one baby is aware of the other. It's, a, it's quite a story. And folks, it, it does, this is an aside, but it does enter into the discussion, doesn't it, about when does life begin? <laughs> wow, if you're reading Luke chapter 1, it would appear that the writer thinks that life begins at conception. Just an aside, but this is apparently what he thinks. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And then Mary goes into um, a bit of a song here. It doesn't say she sang, but she's reciting almost word for word what Hannah said when Hannah was told that she would have the prophet Samuel back in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 1, I think it is. So apparently Mary knew her Bible quite well. And she stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. And then you see it again, verse 57, 58, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy. Uh-huh, senior lady, never had a baby, barren, and here as a senior, she, she gets pregnant. That, I'd say that's mercy. And they shared her Joy. There's this joy again that these people have that they're experiencing. We haven't even gotten to Jesus yet. And then when we see the night that Jesus was born, again, Luke chapter 2, and this angel announces to the shepherds, verse 8, Luke 2, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby watching their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him and the, them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And so great company of the heavenly hosts appear in, in the Greek, a plethora strata. It could be thousands and thousands of angels appear. Glory to God in the highest heaven on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests, they say. And then the angels leave and the shepherds say, we've got to go and see this thing in Bethlehem. And they hurry off and they find Mary and Joseph, verse 16, and the baby who was lying in the manger. And wow, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Joy. And then in Matthew's gospel, when those wise men finally get to the house and they finally see Jesus, when they see that star appear, and that star behaves very strangely, okay? I've heard people say, well, it's a conjunction of these planets, and, and uh, people come up with all these explanations for it. Folks, if you know about astronomy, that star does not move like a normal star. It doesn't, it, it's not doing correct things, okay? In my view, it's probably something supernatural that these people saw, but to me, at least, the natural explanations don't work because the stars don't move that way. When they see it, they, they think that it's above the place where Jesus actually is at the time, and what? They're overjoyed. Overjoyed. There's that theme again. Why are these people filled with joy? Why is it, what is it that has grabbed them that uh, has given them this sentiment of joy? And joy is a, it's an interesting word, folks. It's not like, it's not like happiness. It doesn't say they were happy. It doesn't talk about Mary's happiness or, sorry, Elizabeth's happiness or uses this term joy. And when we explore this term in the New Testament, it's a different thing than happiness. It seems to be a lot deeper than happiness. It seems to be not dependent on uh, circumstance that come and go. 
You know, happiness seems to be more of a temporary thing, but the way joy is presented is if it can be a permanent thing. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I think I got it right, but joy is in there. Uh, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. Back in the Old Testament, the joy of the Lord is our strength. It seems to be something deeper when it comes to this subject of joy. Why? Why did these people experience it? What are the conditions for it? Let me suggest to you three things. Number one, joy typically comes after suffering. It comes after a period of suffering. If you look at Elizabeth and you look at her life and she experiences joy when she's told she's going to uh, have this, this baby boy. Folks, she lived her whole life back in that time a woman, I know it's, I know it's, it's not, uh, you know, we look at it today and we say, wow, what a culture, you know, very patriarchal, very misogynistic and all of this. Folks, it was what it was. If you were a woman and you weren't married, I mean, that was a disgrace. If you were married and you didn't have kids, that was a disgrace. And her husband's a priest above all things. So, I mean, there's a lot of pain that this woman would have experienced as a result of the fact that she could not conceive. And of course, we're always told it's the woman's, the woman could not conceive in the scripture, right? Never says the man had the problem. <laughs> it always says that the woman could not conceive. But let's just say it was the woman here and she couldn't conceive. It was a disgrace, folks. There was shame attached to this. And she lived with that pain over and over and over and over again for a long, long time. And then circumstances being they are as odd as they are, she's told that this will happen and what she experiences, joy. It's a long, long time to be in pain kind of silently. And then there's hope that comes her way and that sentiment of joy is hers. And folks, she's not going to let that go, right? Because she's waited a long, long, long time. Speaking of which, Joy comes after a long, long time. So when you talk about this story and you talk about you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you've got four centuries of silence from God before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, before John the Baptist comes on the scene and starts preaching about the kingdom of God and the coming of Jesus. You've got four centuries of silence between Malachi and Matthew. No prophet is talking in the sense of on behalf of God, there's no book that's written. You've got a lot of history there. You've got what we call the intertestamental period, some really interesting things going on there in terms of history and, uh, and the, what's going on in Israel and the rise and fall of the Greeks and all of this stuff. There's a lot of interesting things going on there. You have uh, a lot of books being written there. I mean, the uh, the, if you come from a Roman Catholic background, a, a Catholic Bible will have a lot of those books in it that are written in, an, in the intertestamental period. Okay, There's a lot of interesting things. Today, if you're Jewish, today is the beginning of Hanukkah, the uh, festival of lights or, or a dedication, as it's called. Dedica yeah, dedication. So that's an intertestamental holiday. So a lot of interesting things, but God essentially is silent. And then all of a sudden here, you've got the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus. That's a long, long time that people are waiting to hear from God. There's a, a song we sing sometimes, in the darkness we were waiting, we were waiting. A long, long, I mean, we can't wait for God for 40 seconds sometimes. We pray for something, we say, well, how come God didn't answer? Folks, four centuries, they're waiting for what? Malachi's promise of 
messianic figure, someone who will come and announce the coming of the Messiah. It's foggy, it's ambiguous, and they're just kind of waiting and waiting and waiting. People are living and dying, waiting for this thing that was promised to come to pass a long time. And then when it comes, there's joy. So suffering is an ingredient for it. Time, you look at these, these wise men, these magi, folks, that's a long, long journey that they're taking. A long journey following this thing in the sky, which we still don't know what it, what it could have been, all these theories. And these people, they're following this. I mean, what are they thinking? What are they hoping to find? And they follow it and follow it and follow it, and they end up in the right place. I mean, Herod takes them very seriously in what they say. And then when they finally see that star stop over that house, they're overjoyed because they're waiting a long time for this. I mean, what did they study? How did they come to this conclusion? I mean, this, this is not a little flash in the pan. Let's just head over to Jerusalem. We've got nothing better to do. Folks, this is... A, maybe years and years of trying to learn about things. These magi were people who were into kind of astrology, kind of astronomy, kind of a little bit of magic. It was a sort of an all-dressed pizza of different beliefs, these people. And yet through this, they make the right call. And they end up in the right place looking for the right person at the right time. But it took a long, long time. So have you suffered a little bit? Have you gone through a period of suffering and pain? And year after year, you pray for something, and it's not happening, and it's not coming, and God is not answering your prayer the way you want him to answer, and it's on and on and on, and you start losing hope. And you say, well... I don't think that my prayer is wrong. I don't think that my prayer is outside of God's will. It seems to be in God's will. I mean, I'm not praying for a Tesla. I'm not praying to win the lottery. You know, I'm praying for my child to, to serve Jesus. I, I, I'm praying for something that seems to be in line with God's will. I'm praying for this situation, this situation, this family member, whatever it is. Could be something you see that you're not even related to, and you're praying for it and praying for it and praying for it. Doesn't happen. Folks, I look at the, uh, just an example, I look at this war over in, uh, with Ukraine and Russia, on and on and on. Folks, there are millions of people praying for a solution and praying for this thing to end, and yet it goes on and on and on and on. Why? Because that's, that's life sometimes. 400 years of silence, this woman barren into her, into her senior years. Have you experienced something like that? You're not alone. These people have. Long journey for you. Your life has been turned and flipped, and you had to go here, and you had to move here, and you had to run there and run there. Look at this couple, Mary and Joseph. Folks, the, it's almost the moment that Jesus is born. There's trouble. I mean, they've got to run for their lives. They've got a, a king trying to execute their baby, and they have to run and flee for their lives. You've got angels talking to them in dreams and all of this, waiting for this king to die so that maybe they can be safe. Running, running, running. I mean, wow, when something good happens in situations like that, what are you going to have? Joy, joy. And you're not going to let anyone take that joy from you because you waited a long time and you suffered a long time in private pain for years and years and years and now finally hope is on the horizon and what does it do it's not happiness folks it's something that wells up inside of you and you do not do not want to let it go and the last lesson is that joy it, do, it doesn't fade you know you can in my view, joy is, is your choice, especially if you're a follower of Jesus. It's your choice. You can choose 
to walk in joy. You can choose to, to uh, worship and to center your life on Jesus, which is going to bring you that kind of joy, or you can choose not to. Now, if you're not a Christian, you don't, you don't have the luxury, you don't have the experience. But if you are a Christian, you know what that thing is like. And you can choose to walk in it in spite of your circumstance, or you can choose not to. But you, you have that ability. That's why I think Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And he, again, I say it, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all Philippians 4. It, apparently, it's something that we can do and something that we can decide because we have Jesus, you see. And so it's not something that's supposed to fade when that angel comes and announces this and talks about the birth of Jesus. I bring you good news. Um, that's what the word gospel means. It's good news. Really good news. Like it's not, but it's not news that's going to go away. You know, it's not breaking today and gone tomorrow. I love these news stations. Breaking news, breaking news in a real red ticker, you know, breaking news. We've got to read it. But it doesn't seem to be breaking tomorrow. Seems to be over tomorrow, and they got to look for more breaking news. Well, the good news of Jesus never gets old, folks. It never gets old. It's the gospel. It's the good news that what? The Messiah is here. He is born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. That's not something or someone that's going to fade away, you see. That's not contingent on whether you're happy or whether you're not happy. I'm telling you, this angel says, I've got good news for you, and it's of great joy. Why? Because that Messiah that you've been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years on end, your generations have died waiting for him. That Messiah has been born tonight. And that's really, really, that's a big, that's the biggest breaking news announcement, but it never, never gets old. Why? Because that Messiah still lives today. He still lives today. He still wants to come into the hearts of people. He still wants to give them joy and love and peace and hope. He's alive today as he was alive 2,000 years ago. He is always was, always will be, and he's waiting for you and wants to give you joy today. So I think that all of us relate to this in some shape or form. We know what it is to suffer for long periods of time. We know what it is to have this kind of disruption in our lives over and over and over again. Folks, these people that you read about in the Bible, they're just like you and me. They're not that much different at all. And if they can experience joy, so can we, folks. So can we. Even in Christmas time, 2022, you know, in the province of Quebec. So on that, I'd like to, to pray for you before we finish. And I think we have Nick in the room. Nick, you can come and strum on your guitar as we finish here. And, um, and just want to pray with you folks. Um, I really, if you get one thing out of this message, and one thing out of this series, it's four chapters in the New Testament, just four. Pick them up and read them and discover Jesus raw for maybe the first time you've seen him that way. And put him first once again uh, in your life and reprioritize things and shift things around. Use this Christmas. It's a tool for you folks. Use this Christmas to again say, wait a second, in all of these things, I want Christ to be first in my life because I need that joy and I don't want anyone to be able to steal that from me. I want to rejoice and walk in that no matter what my job is like, no matter what my school is like, no matter what my bank account is like. I want to walk in the joy of Jesus. Father, I pray for each person in the room, those who are watching online, in the name of our Savior. 
would you speak to people by your Spirit's power, even as Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit and recognized that Mary was carrying God the Son. Lord, may we be filled with Spirit and put you first in our lives once again. I pray for the family that's here in this room that may be in just such a chaotic situation. There's conflict and quarreling all the time. Everybody's going their own way. There's no unity in the family or in the home. I pray for that family today. I pray for that one who's, who's filled with anxiety about the financial situation, even as we see the cost of everything rise, oh God, and it just seems to continue and continue. Would you fill us with the joy of the Lord? I pray for the one who's been seeking you for a specific thing for years and years and years, and it brings them pain even as they pray, oh God, because it never seems to come to pass. Would you again encourage that person and give that person joy to today for the joy of Jesus is our strength oh God we worship you this this week of Christmas as we as we uh, uh, pause and and celebrate the coming of Christ Lord may we worship you and adore you once again we pray in Jesus name amen amen the Lord bless you uh, the Lord keep you and cause His face to shine upon you and give you peace. If you've got kids over in 11, they still got about 25 minutes left, all right? You can go in and watch with them if you like, or you can take some time and have a little bit of community and coffee and fellowship with people before you leave. Remember, uh, this weekend is special. We will not be meeting on Sunday morning, Christmas Day because they're giving all of the staff the morning off, all right? So we can't meet on Christmas Day. We're going to meet on Christmas Eve morning, 10.30, Saturday morning. We will be here, okay? The Lord bless you. I look forward to being with you on Saturday, but if I don't see you, Merry almost Christmas, everyone. God bless you.